I was thinking that if if it was to come out in 2005 or 1995, people would, you know, if it was 1995, they would say, oh, this is about separatists like the um, Ruby Ridge or Waco or cults or like there's always there's always some version of fringe or conspiracy um 2005 you know 911 conspiracies and um so I don't I don't know if it's that unique to this moment do you feel though that that was something that you were really tuned into prior to writing the book I mean were these rabbit holes that you were going down I mean it's it's interesting uh yeah I I mean I've always had a morbid curiosity and then it's it's it took that dark turn where things were getting very convoluted but then that i mean that wasn't really the goal setting out there were elements of that that i thought i would incorporate uh and then as i started working like the threads of the story were really not formed at all so um i was just talking to someone last night that i was trying to write myself out of a hole most of the time and that's that's kind of the way i found that i enjoy working and even it happened just recently with this new thing I'm working on where there was a couple months of doubt and just, you know, you're just, you're like pushing out this, uh, this boat, something, something clicked last week when I was writing and I had a, had a little bit of a realization. I think that just happens out of desperation at a certain point. If you just, if you just set up a few elements and just hope, hope something happens, you're like forced to think on your feet a little bit. So yeah, roundabout way of saying with Sabrina, all that stuff, I was writing, like, what, what is the story? What's even happening in this story? Where is this going? And somehow it lined up with some of those things. I just, I knew that putting elements of a couple, a missing woman, a guy in the Air Force, and then having a vague idea of conspiracy, there would be a lot of threads that would, that would line up. So what does the writing process look like for you? It sounds like you're not doing much planning in advance. No, not so much. It's loose ideas on note cards, usually. Um, a lot of time, usually at a day job to sit and think and kind of wait. It's it's not a flurry of ideas um, that gets whittled down. It's like a slow drip of ideas usually. And then they, they just slowly accumulate over, you know, the couple of years it takes to write it and work on it. But then, then I'll sit down and write and script out a few pages at a time or a scene at a time and then do the drawing, the coloring, finish the art one page at a time. And that usually that's like more time to think and try to find all the little avenues that I might have missed if I was just to sit and write a script first. Does that mean you have to have a lot of different ideas running concurrently? I mean, obviously, if if you're sort of waiting on something to line up, if you're waiting for something to click, that's an easy way to get stuck on an idea. Yeah, and that does happen. I mean, like I said, that just kind of happened recently. I I thought I had some things going and then and then sort of hit a wall and thought, well, no, this isn't this is like kind of nothing yet. Yeah, you always just hope that, you know, there's enough of a backlog. You sort of have, you're thinking a few scenes ahead, but then sometimes you hit a wall and then, but then I found in retrospect that, like I said, that moment when you're desperate or feel like you've like really painted yourself into a corner, then something just kicks in and, but then sometimes it doesn't. You have a few days of, of worry or like puttering around stressing about it. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, when you're working on something for a couple of years, a few days is probably not all that unbearable but do you find that sometimes you you get fairly deep into something and then just have to scrap the idea altogether that hasn't happened yet um there were things that i scrapped in sabrina and then things that i went back and i spent last summer adding things 
So yeah, there were some miscalculations. It's not like it comes out perfectly that way. Now that I've, I guess, been doing this for a while, I, I've learned not to, not to panic if, you know, there's a lull. Having the repetition of drawing and writing and doing the coloring and stuff, like I've, it's not that bad. I, I usually do okay, or I, I can go back and do some revisions if I'm kind of stuck. Or for the last year, I've been making uh, glass paintings. So I think if I hit a wall, I'll just probably do that for a while. Um, I have little methods of snapping out of it, you know. The cover of Sabrina is a glass reversal painting, mm. and the back the back cover and the uh, title page, the portrait of Sabrina. So the ideas tend to flow a little bit better when you're not focused on them. I think so. Yeah, I've I've been reticent actually to to give up my day job because uh, it's what is it right now? I work just really not not very often, less and less uh, at a button company in Chicago. At a button company. Yeah. Uh, busy, what? busy beaver button company. What does that entail? Uh, like pinback buttons. So we do a lot of political things or bands or a lot of beer. Busy beaver button company sounds like a, a, a company that was made up for a comic. That sounds like something like Dan Klaus would have made yeah, up. Yeah, it's for funny. This well, yeah, Kristen, the owner, is great and she's a comics fan. And yeah. in, in fact, Archer Pruitt drew the logo Ooh. like 20 years ago yeah. for her and t- traded her for some soft boy buttons. So it, and it, it's a place a lot because, because the work is, as needed. So a lot of artists and musicians pass through there. So yeah, right now I have a nice balance where I go there sometimes and it's a place to clear my head. And I used, I worked at a lot of janitor jobs and that uh, I was aware at the time it wasn't this thing that I was waiting for the day that I could quit and devote my life to artwork. Cause I know that spending all day in, indoors working on comics has its own hazards. Are you the kind of person though that really has to sort of to set a schedule for yourself? I mean, are you, are you at, at a point now where you're able to do that? Were you able to devote a certain, you know, certain number of hours during the day to really focus on that work? Yeah, I kind of the way I've just found that I have to work and I don't even feel that bad about it is is just to be sort of working all day and there are and then there are just moments of not working interspersed throughout to not feel bad about those times when you're not working well to not feel bad about just spending all of my time working or that i'm some for somehow it just hasn't i just i have to work in an extreme way if i if i had to decide when's cartooning time going to happen it just i don't even want to think about that so i have to just sort of be doing it all the time i mean why would you feel bad about that though i mean it's you know you're doing something that obviously you love and and want to do for a living that's true. Yeah. Just over <laughs> overthink it. Good yeah. point. You're lucky that at this point in your life that, that this is something that you're able to focus most of your time on. Yeah, and I I have great respect for that and I don't I um you know, it feels I feel like I can't ever even live up to that. So that's that's mm. the other thing that's keeping me keeping me going just this this pressure to you know, not squander that. Ivan Brunetti's been a good friend for a long time and yeah. we're 22 years apart, so even when I was in my early 20s, he would say, you know, I think his influence something about, you know, some of the paths he took and the advice he was giving me about, you know, not squandering your 20s and do everything you can now has, has really made a big impression on the way I work. As far as just sort of taking all of the time that you have, I mean, using the, the energy that you have at this point in your life to do it after hours and when you're not doing your day job. Yeah, because I, I mean, that'll have to change at some point. I mean, when I worked on my first book, Beverly, I was working from midnight to three in the morning mm. and then i mean working on comics then around a day job and and then drawing a little bit in the morning so 
I don't know if I'd be able to do that again. So it's easy to kind of romanticize that too. I mean, even at this point of that drive that you have in the middle of the night to just sort of to, to get the book out. I, I suppose the math changes a little bit when it does become more of a, of a day job. I think that's why the distinction between work time and leisure time, it's kind of all just you're, I'm at home and it's always kind of work time. And I mean, I live with my wife and we'll have, you know, it'll be work time, then do the dishes time, then work time, then clean the cat box, then dinner, then work, then... And I, I like having it all kind of in one place and the distinction. Yeah. The work is kind of out on the table all the time and it's always kind of in every room. And But we're, I mean, we're talking in New York and I feel even a little uneasy being away from home. So that's that's the part about working all the time where it's when you walk away from it, it kind of skews the way you see the world a little bit. Obviously, one of the upsides of being in a creative field is that you don't necessarily have to do the nine to five job. The, the downside of it is that you, you can't really turn it off, right? I mean, it's nice that you're able to sort of go off and clean the cat box and get an idea that way. But in a sense, it kind of means you're always working. It's good, actually. I mean, that's, that's really nice because I found that I need to be occupied one way or another because I think I was talking to somebody about just you know like all the people I've known who aren't creative or don't have a creative outlet mm. I've noticed like their minds are still kind of spinning anyway and when you don't have something I mean it's actually a really simplistic observation but I think I was definitely someone who didn't have an outlet for a long time and I don't know just having that now is good the friend that the character Calvin is based on in Sabrina is my one of my oldest friends and uh I noticed recently that he's kind of one of those people and, you know, has some, has some trouble as a result, but he has never had like an artistic outlet necessarily. He He's big into fixing computers and tech, so he has this brain that can latch onto things, but I always kind of thought he has like an artist's brain, but mm. it hasn't like manifested in some way. Like he's, he's said things like, I just don't get art. I'm like, that's not, I mean, that's impossible. <laughs> Throughout various times in my life, I've, I've gone to a museum and stood in front of paintings and wondered why I wasn't getting the desired effect from them or how long I should stand there. And I still, like, to this day, I went to the Magritte exhibit when I was in um, San Francisco last week. And, like, what's the right amount of time to be here? You know, how am I, am I maximizing this time? Like, how, how do I how, how do I know that this is having the desired effect on me? Yeah, I guess if you have to ask that question, I, I don't feel any guilt about just walking away from something if... Mm. But I don't, I've had that same experience. Everybody has probably, where you feel like you're missing something. I mean, I don't feel guilty about putting down a book after 20 or 30 pages at this point, because we're always accumulating more books and then you realize that you're not going to have time to finish everything. So maybe that's a bad impulse sometimes, but. You don't have that impulse with your own work that if, if something feels like it's not working, that it's time to walk away from it. It's, it sounds like you're driven to sort of see it through. Yeah. I mean, I've only, I've done two large projects in the past seven years. So maybe at a certain level, it, there was no justification. It's it's not even that I felt that strongly about, say, working on Beverly or, or this is something that's really important that or is important to me or is going to have some, you know, needs to exist in the world. It's That's where it gets hard to explain, like yeah. where that where that drive even actually comes from, because I'm not even that eager necessarily to get it out. I read a story somewhere that by the time you were done with this and after you had turned it in or were about to turn it into D&Q, that you'd, you didn't want the book out in the world. That is something that happens that I think is also something that I've just gotten used to, Is which is fine too. It's not The goal isn't for me to feel happier about, about the book being out. 
like there's no catharsis in that. I get I get the enjoyment out of working on it. There's no catharsis in just being done with a thing. No, I've I heard uh, I've heard other people say the exact opposite that yeah the work is really hard and tedious and you're just you're working towards that that uh, day where you can hold it in your hands. I mean that is that's satisfying to have the book in your hand, but and not that it, it doesn't really matter. You know what the what the feeling is. I'm just I'm grateful that I feel motivated to work on stuff and always always a little you know scared that that impulse might just go away or wane over time because that that seems more likely you know that's the experience a lot of people have being really motivated or having a lot of ideas and then it kind of it kind of peters out so you never really know where your end point is if that's going to be your last book or if you're going to kind of lose it lose the motivation what was the impulse to not wanted out in the world what was it what was the regret there not feeling that good about it just for myself just that you if you had spent more time on it that it would have been better i don't know what it was i just thought the story didn't i was really kind of blindly confident in a weird way about it i don't even know i'm kind of just chosen to forget about it because it was i thought like that was it i thought once i canceled it i didn't know what like that was a real kind of point where i thought maybe this is it um, and have, I almost was kind of preparing to make peace with that. Like just it for your career or for the book. Yeah. I mean, I didn't draw for a month and I mean, in retrospect, it was pretty clearly from what I've read, what you would call a major depression of just immobile, um, being completely immobile postpartum almost. Yeah. I think it was, it was a lot of other things. Even just the book felt like I could care less at that moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when I was talking about, you know, not really being sure where the end of the line was, I thought like, oh, maybe this was just something I did in my twenties, and and that's it. But luckily, I mean, it's it's turned around a lot. I'm I'm pretty motivated about what I'm working on now, and the last year has been been pretty good just personally. So it sounds like motivation during the creation process wasn't an issue at all. But once it was done, there was almost a switch that flipped. Yeah, I don't I don't even know what what to say about it. Um, I mean, I'm glad glad it's out now. I don't have any regrets about you know, maybe that was the right decision. That was clearly just my worst impulses of uh, self-sabotage being like kind of taking over, I guess. And I can see, you know, the the hard work I put into it and try, tried to be, I mean, I'd worked on, it was the hardest I ever worked on anything in my life up to that point. So I was just maybe, maybe just exhausted on some level too, or couldn't see the value in any of it. I mean, I think taking a month off after working on something for a number of years is actually probably pretty healthy at the end of the day. It might have been, yeah. I mean, I think because that was, yeah, yeah. at that point, I had to kind of snap out of this thing. Were you trying to put pen to paper and just unable to do so, or did you just kind of have it out of your head for a month? I think I had a few attempts, but it was a total lifestyle change. I mean, I would wake up, it was pretty terrifying. I would wake up in the day with no direction or no no purpose really at all. Well, I'm sort of aware on some level that what I'm doing is just pass. It's a pastime. You know, it seems pretty clear and just just from the outside that so many years of your life were devoted to one specific project that once that's out of the way, it's hard to to write the ship again. I mean, especially if you didn't have something lined up. You had invested so much of your existence in in getting this thing out the door and then it was out the door. And it's like, what's next from here? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm clearly coping with some things by just throwing myself into work at all times and... You know, that at least makes me feel like I've done something with the day. 
probably was good to snap out of it a little bit. Or I was doing paintings that, you know, had no, they're just portraits and things and, you know, just mixing colors and getting closer to some kind of art, art therapy or something. That's what I ended up doing for a few months after, after that and kind of reinvigorated me a little bit. Did your wife have any advice for you at the time as you were sort of grappling with that? She kind of leads by example every day. So, so maybe not sitting, you know, being a life coach, but being there for me and, you know, seeing, seeing me through this was tough. You know, she's an artist and she's very creative and does a lot of, a lot of things. And so I think just being in, in the house with her was, if, if I was going through it, say when I was single, it would be a different story, but obviously, and she has a kind of empathy for that, that, you know, if you were married to somebody not in the creative field, that they probably wouldn't understand that kind of block. Yeah. I mean, she's been, been really supportive when I, you know, made little decisions to maybe go work part time and, and focus on a book. She would always say like, you have to do this. This is like your job. And she's here with us in, in New York and but then even just non, you know, it doesn't have to be so straightforward. She just like her support is kind of, kind of unconditional. How do you know when you're working on something that's worth continuing to pursue? Oh, geez, I don't know. That book ends, you take a kind of involuntary month off from working and you're working on something now that you've been working on for some time. And, oh you know, yeah. At, at some point it must be clear that, all right, I'm going to throw myself into this. I actually had it as a scrap of, mm. you know, just an idea for, for a long time. And I always kind of thought my next book would just be this thing and it's it was so unformed it was just I thought there was an environment and a just a very very vague premise that I would just kind of start on which is the way I usually start on everything and then hopefully just let it snowball um that's pretty much all it boils down to it always I mean it always feels tenuous which is I found is good like it could you know fall, fall apart I don't have that's a good feeling. I think, yeah, I think for me it is. Uh, I don't have 10 ideas on the back burner, like waiting. You know, I, I, like I have so many ideas that are just pouring out of me. It doesn't really work that way. And I've had to just kind of feel okay about that. I don't keep a sketchbook. Um, I don't really draw outside of drawing comics. Uh, I started going to figure, figure drawing again just to kind of tighten up my drawing skills. And yeah, just, fe just feeling okay about that, like not feeling. Maybe when you go to art school, you have the, you know, you admire certain people and their methods and you think you can do that. And then over time you realize what, where your strengths lie or your, yeah. I mean, realizing where your weaknesses lie is just as important probably. I had Ivan Brunetti on the show recently. I was, I was out in Chicago and he, I, I think he felt that, um, his own sort of skill set wasn't something that necessarily translated for a lot of people. What he, what he was good at didn't necessarily make him a particularly good teacher. I mean, I understand why, you know, you guys sort of hit it off. I think you probably have sort of similar impulses when it comes to cartooning. He doesn't give himself enough credit for being a, a really good teacher. He, it's it's not as if he, he has this one way of working and he insists that others, that students, because he fully acknowledges a lot of whatever is in him that makes him a, a great artist also has been like very detrimental to him over the years. And then they, they have to just kind of coexist because that's what makes him interesting and funny and, and hard on himself. I mean, do you feel like you're maybe kindred spirits in that respect? I would say, yeah. I mean, we've, we've always just been really close and had a great rapport, like even from, I met him when I was 20 and I didn't know he was a teacher at the school I, I happened to transfer to. So it just, it worked out really well. Did you go to school to become a cartoonist? I would say so. Yeah. At that point, I, I liked comics a lot and, and thought, I didn't know much about them, so I was coming in a little bit blind. And again, that's meeting him 
was great because I would go to his house and borrow a stack of books and and then trade them for another stack and that was kind of the like the comic book library for one summer. You made it sound as though you were sort of in, in the wilderness for a while in terms of trying to find a creative outlet, but you were also pretty clear by the time you were 20 that you knew what you wanted to do. You know, I'm glad it it happened then. You know, you can always say I wish it would have happened when I was 12 because it would have made adolescence and puberty a little bit easier. Uh, yeah, but at the end of the day, maybe it's good that the comics you would have made that you, as you were a twelve year old are sure. not on the world right now, or yeah, of course, Live Journal or whatever. No, yeah, I mean, I I have talked to people who have almost this baggage of whatever they read when they were a kid, and they can't really shake it, whether it was superheroes or you know just made this complete turn. I liked music a lot when I was younger, and I, I liked heavy metal a lot when I was really young, and then I I picked up the guitar at the same time, and that's how I learned guitar, and then. When I kind of completely lost interest in metal and got into other music, I couldn't shake the bad habits of guitar. Mm. So I think that had you been a Rob Liefeld fan when you were 12, that perhaps some of those would have trickled down. Yeah. So I, I think probably some version of that would have happened with comics if I was, if I thought it, also just that it wasn't my life's ambition to be a cartoonist. Maybe I was going in a little bit. I don't know what, what the right word would be for it. Just not that, not that worried about it. I wasn't thinking, you know, that I was, I have to make a living at this or. I have to live up to some you know, thing in my mind of what, you know, this thing I've been dreaming of since I was a little kid. Life's ambition from the standpoint that it's not something that you had been invested in a long time, but it was your life's ambition and that you were going to school to do it. And this is when you're 20, this is the thing that you decided that you want to essentially do with your life. Yeah. I mean, once it, once it clicked in, it just kind of never went away. Yeah. And that's maybe where I thought the whole thing is tenuous, where it could just stop at some point. And that perhaps it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because it's not something that you had been invested in for that long of a time. Yeah, I think so. I still, I mean, I still kind of feel that way on some level. I, it would, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. So it would be nice to feel like it's, you know, something that's uh, still a part of my life, but I don't want to just get into a blind habit of pumping out comics if I feel like I've lost interest or something, or I'm just hacking it out or telling the same story over and over. But again, I've just I've just kind of gotten used to that uneasy feeling of not being exactly sure what I'm doing at any given time. Before you discovered that comics was something that you wanted to do, was it clear that you wanted to make art in in some respect? Yeah, I would say that's probably true, but I just didn't have have a lot of confidence and by the time I was a teenager, I think it was just some kind of um some kind of dumb fantasy. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing anything and was just kind of just kind of an average student and wasn't really thriving in school or in anything really. So, you know, that's, it's kind of feel bad about that, like a lot of wasted time, but maybe, maybe that's where this is coming from, trying to make up for lost time on some level or. I mean, it's being a teenager. I don't think that even really qualifies as lost time. I mean, everybody goes through that to some degree. Yeah. I mean, it didn't feel dissimilar from what a lot of my friends were, were going through. I'm not sure if that's just typical that you're not maybe not supposed to know what you're doing at that age. How soon after school did you start work on Beverly or did you start working while you were still in school? I actually started like the week I graduated. It was a pretty immediate thing. And out of just desperation, I just started writing about sort of a story loosely based on some of the people I was working with at the time. What kind of desperation? It's a pretty intimidating thing to, you know, going to school from the time you're three to age 22 and, um, 
and then you have then summers and you know there's just it feels like this big open void and i i just decided to go back to the day job i'd i'd been working at all throughout college since high school doing maintenance at this concert venue and so yeah i guess i would call it desperation but that's that sounds negative it was a combination of motivation and desperation this has got to be some german word for that right? <laughs> The reviews for your latest book have been overwhelmingly positive. You've gotten a lot of accolades for it. Having the distance that you have now from the book, are you able to look at it and appreciate it in that way? I mean, I can be happy that I that I did it and, you know, happy with some of the choices I made. You know, from what I expected the book would, would be and how it would be received is different. I mean, I really convinced myself that this was going to be because it, it was kind of a stressful thing to work on and it was based on a lot of real fears and a real anxiety. So it did feel like kind of this evil presence in my life at times. I was just convinced that that that's the only thing anyone could ever take from it. I just, it just felt like this overwhelmingly negative thing. When I read a nice review, it seems very charitable, like maybe, you know, it sounds like false modesty saying it on a podcast, but that's, that's kind of the experience. Like it doesn't internally, it doesn't fill me with this like glee or boost of pride or happiness or anything like that. In the years that it took to write it, did you feel that you were just sort of like embedded in that mindset that you were inhabiting that space? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, over the last year, I've realized that living in a state of anxiousness or worry or dread about something is like, you might as well just be living through it anyway, because it's, a, you know, this bad thing that you're imagining happening is already kind of existing in your mind. I still have that problem kind of living my life in a bit of a fog of, of worry and, and dread kind of prevents, you know, it's stifling. It prevents me from doing a lot of things. I'm trying to get over it, but it's having that awareness doesn't necessarily make it go away. So I'm, it sounds like fear is, is at once both inhibiting and motivating for you. Sure. Yeah. And that's like maybe why this book was, I had like a real fire, you know, when I was working on it, I was really motivated or it felt like it was important to me at the time because I was, you know, just somehow the story just like tied up a lot of things. I mean, obviously, if you felt like this was the best thing you were ever going to do, what would the motivation be to continue to create something? Sure. And that's where, you know, when you read a, a nice review, it's the way my brain works is like, okay, that's, it's all downhill from here. And I have to just ignore that. Like once I start working on something that kind of goes away, but for that reason, it's just kind of hard to take something like that in because... Having a half-finished page on your table is always kind of a, a humbling thing. Somebody said you're only as good as your last page. It's like when a comedian, they say like they have a bad set and they just don't feel right until they go on stage and do well again. This like thing that doesn't sit right. If it was a difficult place for you to inhabit, given the subject matter, and that was something that you were carrying around with you for a few years, is there a motivation in there then in the follow-up to make something that's you know perhaps like a little less dark? When I was kind of in in the in-between over the summer and kind of formulating ideas, you know, that's always the feeling is you wanting to do something different or change your perspective. And I remember taking a walk and having some idea occur to me without going into the idea it was basically going to be like this actual, you know, loving, tender moment. And I had this kind of clear idea of it. And then over the course of writing it, I was like going through kind of the uncertain phase of writing it and then drawing it. And then I reread it and I read it and realized like, oh, there's always like this grim, everything has this kind of 
black cloud over it. Well, obviously, it needs conflict. Yeah, it's hard not to. I mean, you don't want to just be shameless, unapologetically nihilistic. This does feel different to me. What I've started working on, it's not funny or anything, but it's it's not the same as Sabrina. I think. Do you feel uncomfortable at this point in the process, shedding too much light on what you're working on? Yeah, I mean specifically, that probably wouldn't yeah. be a good idea right now. Just as far as jinxing it. Yeah, I think so because it's not. It, it really isn't very well formed yet. Visually, stylistically, it's not. It's not this huge departure from what I've done in the past, um, incorporating from spending the last year, a lot of the last year painting and doing a little bit more detail that's bled into the comics a little bit. So there are like 11 characters in this kind of classroom setting. It was necessary to have them immediately be uh, distinguishable from each other. So there's actual lips and eyes and it's not these little dots so much anymore. At the end of the day, you're giving yourself a lot more work if you're going to have to work on a long piece and draw those over and over again. Yeah, and that's that was hard to to figure out at first. I was stuck in a a way of working over and over, and it's hard to. It's like it's a it's a good thing to have systems in place, but then the systems can kind of box you in a little bit. I mean, are, do you do you find that the the process of drawing enjoyable in spite of the repetition? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I love. I love having something to work on and I, I do enjoy the drawing and the problem solving and pretty much all aspects of it. The looking at interiors and looking through, you know, photo reference and yearbooks and decorating catalogs and stuff and postcards. When I feel like I can go to, you know, an antique mall in Indiana and, and flip through things and it's nourishing or you can find something that you can use, like a color scheme or my wife Sarah collects dolls and has a lot of trinkets and our place is kind of jammed with stuff, so that's what I meant about it's kind of always feels like it's it's work and it's all kind of mixed up together. I spoke to Jaime Hernandez a number of years ago, and he told me that the reason why he, for a long time, you know, did a lot of like cars and dinosaurs is because if you're going to commit yourself to a project, you want to do something that you want to draw over and over again. Mm-hmm. It sounds like part of the process is finding a way to almost like justify these things that you enjoy anyway as being kind of homework for the project. Sure, yeah. On the flip side, too, that it forces you, you know, if you're just drawing, if you're painting or something, maybe there's a tendency to stick with what you're comfortable with. Mm. That's a huge oversimplification or a generalization. But, you know, in a comic, if you realize there's a scene that takes place on a train or a bus and you would normally have no interest in drawing that and it's kind of a pain in the ass and it's challenging, but then you have to do it. And then you have to do it over and over and over again for however long the scene takes place. That's kind of like uh, important for me because I can definitely get in a rut. But that was the reason I just abandoned keeping a sketchbook because at a certain point I was drawing the same crappy face over and over again and just indulging the worst tendencies. But something about a comic, you know, I've drawn like a whole variety of different locations and interiors. and. But you feel that uh, in this next project that it's important to push yourself artistically? Uh, I hope so, yeah. Like I said, it's, you know, I say that, but then when you see the product, you're like, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's not, it's like the same old thing. You know, it feels a little bit reinvigorating for me somehow. Hopefully the difference is more of like a tonal difference than anything visual. It's not, it's not, like I, I keep saying, it's not this radical departure but it feels i feel happier just to be working on it obviously there are sort of elements to every aspect of of the process that are less than ideal you know especially with this last book and the space you're inhabiting the reward isn't necessarily it's not the accolades and it's not having this physical book in your possession if you are able to distill what is sort of the most purely enjoyable aspect of the process of making comics for you there's not really an aspect that i don't enjoy on Mm. some level so i'm i mean again i feel really it's just nice to 
to have something to work on. I've, I've learned to enjoy the writing process a lot more, you know, whereas in the past, the two days that I might sit on the couch trying to type, the dialogue out was just a more of a chore to get to the drawing when I was younger. I really like doing that and I like drawing. I like scanning and cleaning up the pages and coloring there. You know, there's enough that's problem solving. And then for, there's enough I've found from years of doing menial, repetitive labor that I don't mind the parts that are just completely tedious and repetitive that you just have to go through. There you go. That was Nick Darnasso. Very happy to have ended the year on that conversation. As Sabrina was easily one of the best comics of 2018. Thanks to him for taking the time to do that while he was in New York. Thanks to Drawn a Quarterly for setting up that conversation. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program and all the support you've given us over the course of the year. If you like the show, let's make like all of those year-end charities and, and ask you to get those ratings and reviews in before the end of the year and, and tax time comes around. Please rate the show on iTunes. Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. We're still on Tumblr. That's rolcast.tumblr.com. If you have any feedback, it's rolcast at gmail.com. And that's about it for 2018. So stick around because we are going to be back next year with another episode of RIYL.